Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Hello everybody, my name is Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to my podcast in the book of Revelation. In this series of podcasts, we're going to look at the book of Revelation from chapters 1 through 22. What did John say? How would John's readers have understood what he said? And what does it mean for us today? After we survey the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, we'll then record some more podcasts that will examine some of the more popular topics. What about the beast and the Antichrist and the rapture and some of the more popular topics? For those of you who are interested, I encourage you to get a copy of my book, Follow the Lamb. It's a guide on how to read, understand, and apply the book of Revelation. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth podcast. For now, I hope you sit back and enjoy our study of the book of Revelation. Today's study takes us to Revelation chapter 14. Verse 1 begins, And I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the living creatures, and before the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 and uh, who had been purchased from, from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. The 144,000 are standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion. Standing indicates uh, support for the people of God. They've been vindicated. The Lamb is always standing in the book of Revelation, by the way, and God is always seated. Jesus is seated. Now, Mount Zion, of course, reminds us of Psalm chapter 2, and the the depiction of the triumph of the Messianic king over, over the nations. Mount Zion is a kingdom of justice and peace where God dwells and where he offers his people security. The 144,000, of course, quickly reminds us of chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. They were Israelites, it appeared to be. They were 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. We mentioned back in chapter 7, however, that they must indicate a larger group than just, or, or a group that indicates more than just Israelites. After all, 12 times 12 to get to 144 indicates Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. We also noted that the 12 tribes listed in chapter 7 were not actually indicative of the actual 12 tribes in the Old Testament. The list was different. The names like Joseph were included, whereas names like Dan were not included. The the 144,000, however, are also quickly contrasted with those who have the number of the beast, the mark of 666. This is often obscured by the fact that chapter 14 begins a new chapter, a chapter break. But chapter 13 ended with a description of those who have the mark of the beast which is either the name of the beast or the number of the, of the beast. And immediately, chapter 14 begins with 144,000. And it says in verse 1, they have the name of the father, having his name or the name of his father written on their foreheads. The contrast is very apparent. Both groups have a name, one having the name of the beast or the number of his name, one and the other having the name of Christ or the name of his father. Both have the name on their foreheads, though the mark of the beast is also on the right hand. And both are marks. One is the mark on the forehead, and one is the uh, the seal of God, and one is the mark of the beast. The fact that the mark indicates ownership or identity uh, is also further accentuated the, the contrast between the two groups. One has the name of the beast, and one has the name of Christ on their foreheads. The name of Jesus, of course, the name of God was on the forehead of the high priest. 
Now, the whole community of God's people, however, in the book of Revelation, are priests who serve God in his temple. So it's not surprising that God's people are described as having his name on their foreheads. In Revelation chapter 19, uh, chapter 21, verses 19 and 20, we see that the new Jerusalem is made of all these jewels, and those jewels conform to the high priest's clothing. Now, the unbelievers here are thus beast-like, and the believers are described as being divine-like. John says in verse 2 that he heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. This reminds us of Jesus' voice in chapter 1, which is described as a voice of many waters. In chapter 19, verse 6 says, I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. It's a description of God's people before the throne of God. And they proclaim a new song. A new song, as we mentioned earlier, is always uh, an expression of praise to God for victory over their enemies. These people are described as not being defiled with women, which has led some to conclude that they're only men. The problem is, is, is this is a description of God's people in heaven, following Christ around, victorious. Remember, these are the ones who the beast had authority to overcome them and to kill them and to make war against them. Now they're being described as, as the ones who are vindicated. Even though the beast has waged war against you, we've overcome. Thus, consequently, it's a description of all of God's people. Why are they described as men only? Well, simply put, because the 144,000 was a holy army. And in the Old Testament world, only men of military age could fight in the, in, in the army. Sexual purity, furthermore, was a requirement for ritual purity for soldiers in a holy war. Remember, when the Israelites waged war, it was a holy war. That's why they carried the Ark of the Covenant out before them. God was going to go before them into victory. During holy war, sexual purity was required. These men are being described as those who are faithful and pure, even in the midst of holy warfare. The 144,000, one commentator says, are the spiritually faithful who remain unentangled with the norms, values, and beliefs of the dominant culture. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. The word follow is the same word used in the Gospels for discipleship. They're disciples of Jesus. They imitate Christ. Remember, it's important to note now here a, a key distinction. The opponents of God, the beast and the dragon and the second beast, uh, try to imitate Jesus. They appear as if they've been uh, having one of their heads as if it had been slain. They, they speak blasphemous words, but they speak these prophetic words that are actually lies and deceptions. Uh, the second beast has two horns like a lamb. Yet the people of God are the ones who truly are imitating the lamb. We follow Jesus, who was himself the faithful witness, so we too are the faithful witness. Just like Jesus is the light of the world, so also the church is the seven lampstands. Thus we follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Furthermore, they're described as having been purchased. We know in chapter 5 they were purchased by the blood of the Lamb. This contrasts them again with those who cannot buy or sell without the mark. Those who are purchased are those who cannot purchase in Babylon. They are first fruits, it says. They're first fruits in the sense that, not, not in the sense that others are, will follow. No, they're first fruits in the sense of their quality. John's not concerned with the chronological sequence, like these are the first fruits and then there will be some others later. No, this is a description of all of God's people. There will be none later. The description of them as first fruits is rather that they are choice. They're a holy group consecrated and purchased by God and the Lamb. First fruits, of course, is used in the book of Jeremiah to refer to all Israel. James 1, chapter 18 says the first fruits are all of God's people. The first, this 144,000 then represents the, the salvation of all God's people from all the nations. 
no lie was found in their mouth, contrary, of course, to those who believe the lie of the beasts. The point, then, is they are effective in their witness of the gospel. One commentator says that to lie is to compromise with the dominant culture, to accept its ways, and to live as citizens of Babylon, not as followers of the Lamb. One of the major plot conflicts in Revelation is that between truth and falsehood. Will the hearers or readers of the book of Revelation accept the truth, or will they lie? Or will they accept the lie? Will they follow the one who is faithful and true, or will they be swayed by the dragon and other deceivers? Will they follow Christ wherever he goes, or will they follow counterfeit Christ's impostors of the truth? All liars are barred from entrance into the new Jerusalem. Finally, they're described as being blameless. Chapter 14, then, verses 6 through 20, now describe for us what appears to be maybe Judgment Day, the final judgment. But it seems to describe it in terms of two different judgments. Chapter 16, verse 6 says, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to those from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. And another angel, a second one, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he too will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night for those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. These three angelic beings issue warnings. Most likely the warnings were to the believers, even though the first warning is, says that he has a message to those who live on the earth and every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. We must remember the people that live on the earth who don't follow Christ are probably not reading the text. The first angel then announces, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. The second angel then specifies, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Babylon most likely refers to the city of Rome. Babylon was uh, the secular and unjust spirit of humanity, which forces others to compromise with the truth and to worship idols rather than the Creator. Babylon represents any place and every place that deifies itself and sets itself up as supreme. What's interesting here is that we have actually not been introduced to the harlot Babylon yet in the book of Revelation. John's readers seem to already have an idea who Babylon is, even though John actually hasn't himself told us who Babylon is. The third angel announces that anyone who worships the beast and receives his mark will drink of the wine of the fury of God's wrath. It continues to, uh, they, they continue in their worship despite the warnings. John alerts his readers that this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. There's that word again. Perseverance. Patient endurance. I, John, and your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance which are in Christ. We must persevere even though we're kings and priests because we're going to suffer tribulation. Note the three parallel passages, Revelation 13.10, 13.18, and 14.12. 13.10 says, Here is the perseverance in the faith of the saints. Faith in this passage is being able to listen with spiritual ears, being able to endure suffering for not compromising with the beast. 13.10 10 says, Here is the wisdom. 
Faith is wisdom that is able to discern the evil character of the beast and not being deceived into following him. And then in 14.12 it says, Here is the perseverance of the saints. Faith is patient, endurance, and keeping the commandments of God. Verse 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They'll rush from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Loyalty to Christ, loyalty to the Lamb, means suffering now. Now this phrase, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, may include those who die as martyrs. But it may include everyone who dies as believers, not just simply those who are martyred. For they will rest from their labors, and their deeds will follow them. Chapter 14, verses 14 through 20 then, refer to two harvests. Verse 14 begins, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat upon the cloud, saying, Put in your sickle and reap, because the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. He who sat in the cloud swung the sickle to the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel, verse 17 says, he came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, the one who had the power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because their grapes are ripe. And the angel swung the sickle to the earth, and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for a distance of two hundred miles. It's a double imagery. There's both positive and negative images, and most likely the first harvest represents the gathering of the saints and the final judgment. The second harvest represents the gathering of the wicked and their final judgment. Note the two judgments are connected with elements earlier in the chapter. The grain harvest is connected with the first fruits, Revelation 14, verse 4. And the harvest of the grapes seems to be connected with uh, the wine of the wrath of her fornication in Babylon, verses 4, chapter 14, verses 8 and 10. Babylon's wine is a corrupting way of life which she's offered to the nations and thereby entice them to worship the beast. God's wine is the judgment on the nations. So the grape harvest and the gra- the grain harvest and the grape harvest appear to be two different harvests. Note the grain harvest has only one stage, that of reaping. The grape harvest has two stages, one of reaping and one of treading. Note, of course, the connection with the communion or the Eucharist. One is grain and one is grape. The passage begins with a description of one like a son of man sitting on the clouds. We noted earlier that the one on the clouds is almost always a reference to God. He's seated on the cloud as a direct reference perhaps to Daniel chapter 7, which again indicates that this is probably Christ. It's odd that he's taking orders from an angel, but that's okay. It's maybe just like stage directions for the benefit of the hearers. He has a crown on him. That's the crown of the judge, perhaps indicating Jesus as the messianic king. An angel comes from the throne room and cries out for him to reap. Uh, the Son of Man then reaps. The, the grain harvest is uh, probably an indication then of the reaping of grain, which is the reaping of the righteous. Remember, the, the grain is uh, often an indication of God's people. They're the first fruits, and the harvest is the harvest of the land, and the harvest of the land is, uh, of the earth is ripe, we're told in the Gospels. The grape harvest, however, is more of an indication of judgment. Grape harvests are, are a natural image of judgment, especially because of the treading. Uh, grape harvests have association with judgment earlier in the book, chapter 14, verses 8 and 10 as well. The notion of gathering and treading then allures to the final judgment at the coming of Christ. We see in chapter 16 that the kings of the earth are going to be gathered together and then judged. The two harvests then appear to be different. One is for the righteous and one is for the wicked. 
And let's also pay attention to the fact that verse uh, 20 says, the winepress was trodden outside the city. They were trampled. Uh, this is the same word that was used in chapter 11, verse 2. It says uh, that, uh, the, leave out the outer court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations and they will trample or tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. This reminds us then of a very important principle in, in, in Scripture, but also in the book of Revelation, and that is the punishment fits the crime. The people of God are trampled on by the nations. That's why the outer court is not measured. It's going to be trampled upon by the nations. But in the end, the nations will be trampled upon outside the city by Christ. Outside the city, of course, the blood comes up to the horse's bridles for a distance of, well, most translations say 200 miles. The problem, again, is, is that numbers are very insignificant in the book of Revelation. The Greek says 1,600 stadia. 1,600 will be 4 times 4 and then 10 times 10. 4, of course, is referencing all of creation, and 4 times 4 will re represent the totality of creation. 10 is the number for completeness, especially in regards to the law. So 10 times 10 is a reference to the final judgment for violation of the law. Uh, David Barr says the idea of 200 miles is not a good translation, quote, he says, since it misses the symbolic significance of the number, which in Greek is 1600 stadia, a number built on the root of 4, signifying the earth. This blood then covers the earth. When 1600 becomes uh, 200 miles then, John's number is completely uh, obscured. Notice then as we close the contrast between Zion and Babylon. Those in Zion have the name of the Father or the Lamb. Those in Babylon have the mark of the beast. Those in Zion have a grain harvest, whereas those in Babylon have experienced the grape harvest. Those who are in Zion are those who die in the Lord, whereas those in Babylon are those who experience the wrath of God. Those in Zion are celibate. They're, they're faithful. They did not defile themselves with women, whereas those in Babylon committed fornication with the harlot. The contrasts are made starkly, not because the alternatives were obvious to his readers, but because the alternatives were not obvious to his readers. It's very important to understand that even though it looks very obvious and plain in the book of Revelation that you don't want to receive the mark of the beast, that you don't want to follow the deception of the devil or, the, or of the, the dragon or either one of the beasts, it's actually not that easy in real life. One commentator says that some within the Christian community were willing to merge Jerusalem and Babylon to follow the way of the lamb and the way of the beast, to assimilate the norms, values, and beliefs of the dominant culture. I really believe this is one of the most significant things in the modern Christian church. We have compromised, we have combined Jerusalem and Babylon, the heart of Babylon and the bride of Christ. And the church must be aware. Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, Revelation chapter 18 is going to tell us. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.